you're listening to Sermon Audio from Redeemer Church, where we are disciples of Jesus in life together, making disciples. Check out our other media, or to find out more information about our church, visit RedeemerSGF.com. Good morning, Redeemer Church, and Happy Easter. Hope you guys are doing well. Hope you got your pastels on and you're having a good morning with everybody. I want to invite you guys to open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew 28, on Friday, Good Friday, we spoke about the death of Jesus. We spoke about him dying on the cross. We spoke about the departing glory of God. We saw in that powerful story how after the death of Jesus, you had the earth shaking, the the rock splitting, the, the temple curtain tearing in two, even the dead rising from the grave and walking into the city. And we talked about in that story how our sins have been nailed to the cross, have been paid for by the blood of Jesus. But he had to go. He had to depart from us for a time. And so this morning we talk about that glory of God that seemingly departed on the cross has now come back to us this morning in the resurrection. So for three days, Jesus sat lifeless in the grave. For three days, the world wondered if the glory of God would would return. And we see this at the breaking of dawn, the returning glory of God. Read with me the first four verses of Matthew 28. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. The women who were approaching the cross of Christ, the women who were there at the death of Jesus, are here approaching the tomb at the break of dawn to come to the tomb, to place spices in the tomb as would be tradition. And they approached this tomb, a tomb that was heavily sealed and heavily guarded. In the verses prior, what we see are the the chief priests and the elders all coming together and conspiring with Pilate, the governor, saying, hey, the disciples said in three days, Jesus is going to rise. And so we don't want that lie to be spread about. And so since we don't want them to come in and steal his body and tell everybody that he rose from the dead, we would like to make sure that it is properly sealed. And so Pilate gave them the authority to make that tomb as sealed as possible. And so these women come approaching this heavily guarded, heavily sealed tomb. And in their approach, something similar happens. The earthquakes again. You know, back on Friday, they felt the same earthquake in the death of Jesus. And now they they feel the earthquake again as they approach the tomb. So on Friday, something unimaginable happened. That is, God died. And here on Sunday, another unimaginable thing happened. And so in the cool of the morning, at the break of dawn, a light overwhelms a graveyard. And that light can only be described as nothing other than the blinding glory of God. It was that glory That would ultimately bring the guards, the ones who are set to heavily guard and seal the tomb to their knees. Alistair Begg, pastor, theologian, says, what was shaking most, the ground from the earthquake or the guards because of the empty tomb? 
These guards were not shaking when they spat upon Jesus on the cross. They weren't shaking when they cast lots for his clothing. They weren't shaking as they twisted a crown of thorns upon his head. The guards were not shaking as Jesus died on the cross. The tomb that became death's footstool has now become an angel's pulpit. The tomb that was so greatly sealed has become an open door of God's immeasurable grace to the world. There is fear and there is tension spreading around like a plague right now in our society. In some ways, people are acting like the tomb is still occupied and death is still to be feared. Does fear have a grip on you, on your soul today? Are you fearful of the future? Are you fearful of your health? If you're ever going to be able to recover financially? The guards of this story, they they stood in fear of their lives rather than being in awe of God. They became like dead men because fear gripped them tightly. But how about you? Are you fearful of your life rather than being in awe of God? Does the current circumstance have you wrapped up uh, so that you cannot see the glory of God before an empty tomb? My hope for you this Easter morning is to be so gripped by the glory of God in an empty tomb that it does not lead you to a death grip of fear, but rather a death to fear as you embrace the living and risen glory of God. And what is the risen glory of God? Or who is the risen glory of God? It is Jesus himself. He is the risen glory of God. And where the guards were once strong and protectors of the tomb, they have now become weak and powerless. The angel did not come speaking to the guards or fighting with the guards or trying to break the seal. He comes casually, but he doesn't even come to deal with the guards. He comes to speak to the women, to those who actually follow Jesus. Verse 5 says, But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. The angel assures the women his presence is for their good, not their demise. The wrath that has been poured out onto Jesus is not coming to be poured out onto his people, but instead good news. The angel tells the women that he knows who they're seeking. They're seeking the one that the Apostle Paul would later identify as the crucified one. And so slow down for a second and think about that. I know who you're looking for. You seek Jesus who was crucified. That's an odd statement. Living people are not called the crucified one. If you are crucified, you don't live. You die. These women are about to be the first people ever to experience what the world has never experienced before. And so the crucified one, Jesus, verse 6. He is not here, for he has risen. Some of the most, the greatest and profound words in history. He is not here, for he has risen. As he said, come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. These women have witnessed Jesus' death. They held his lifeless body. They washed it. They wrapped it in burial clothes. And they laid him in the tomb with much sorrow, much grief. 
And these women have also been chosen to be the first carriers of the good news. Women were at best second class citizens in the society. They had no real voice in society. And so this is a real sign of the kindness and the humility and the grace of God to use those who are deemed lowly in society to be the first to share the greatest news the world would ever know. The chief priests, the elders, the scribes, the Jerusalem council, the Jewish elite, these men, these leaders of the Jewish religion were to be the ones who were to behold this great news, but yet they would not be the carriers of the gospel. But through the lowly, those with nothing to lose, God would bring his good news for all the world to hear. And so the angel then allows the women to see the empty tomb, behold the tomb, and they don't stay there for very long, and he quickly sends them off. There's no need to stick around, because the real treasure that they're looking for is not found in a tomb or a stone that is rolled away. I have personally visited the ancient site of the burial um, in Jerusalem, uh, the presumed tomb of Jesus. There's a, a few locations, and this one seems to be the most popular, just really a stone's throw away from Golgotha. It's a really neat experience. It can be a spiritual experience, but you know what you'll actually find there? An empty tomb. And I kid you not, after five seconds, you're bored. There, there's, there's nothing to do. Because here's the reason. There's, the hope is not in the grave. The hope is not found in the tomb. The hope is not in the stone that the angel sat upon. The hope is not where Jesus was or where his body had laid, but his hope, our hope is in Jesus alone, in him. And so when we find him and when we see him, it is then that our hearts are changed and our worship is then perfected. And so the returning glory of God perfects our broken worship. And so the women go just as they're directed. Verse 8. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Four words that would change these women's life forever. Behold, Jesus met them. Jesus, the crucified one, came to these women. The greeting of Jesus uh, to these women was was nothing profound. It was nothing complicated. The, The language is plain. It's as plain as our English word for hello. Jesus appears and says, hello, it's good to see you. And these women, in response, they fall down and they grab onto his feet and they have they have a fear in them, but not the same fear like the guards have before the angel, but a healthy, reverent fear for God. They fell down and they worshiped their risen savior. And so this is a new worship, a perfect worship wrapped up in the resurrected Jesus And so this is the hope that we have this morning, this Easter morning, that Jesus has risen from the grave. The glory that departed has come back and not to punish us for crucifying him, but to greet us as a friend and just say hello. Jesus has taken our sinful hearts, our sinful hearts, and he put them to death. And through his resurrection, he has brought them back 
to life. God doesn't look at his creation and go, you know, what? I'm going to wipe it all out and start all over. He says, I'm going to fix the problem. And so he gives us a pure heart, a heart that would purely and perfectly worship him. If you have faith in Jesus, you have his resurrected life living inside of you. You have that hope in you that already but not yet hope. God is not looking to punish you. He's not looking to make you pay for your sins, but he is calling you to a life of peace and worship of him. You have all the reason to worship, all the reason to worship and not fear, not have any concern, worries or anxieties. The news, the the world is in a panic and is full of fear. You see it all over the place. The grave has them gripped with fear. But you and I have been changed by the resurrection of Jesus. This means the concerns and the worries of the world should not grip our lives. Instead, we are to be captured in reverent worship and awe of Jesus. I want you to listen to these next words of Jesus and allow them to take your worried or weary or fearful soul and bring you peace. He says to these women, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Why would this reality of the resurrection of Jesus be so calming? What is is so life-giving and peaceful and calming about seeing somebody who who was dead now back alive? To put it simply, it's because the resurrection changes things. What does the resurrection do? You see, the cross gave us assurance that the penalty, penalty of our sins was transferred from us to Jesus. This is what you might call the great exchange. We gave him our sin. He would ultimately give us his righteousness. Isaiah 53 says this. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. And he shall bear their iniquities. When Jesus took our sins to the cross, he also took our sins to the grave in his death. And so we have assurance that we no longer have to bear the penalty of our sins. It has been placed on Jesus. And so the resurrection then assures believers they are no longer slaves to sin, but alive to Christ Jesus and his righteousness. You see, He's a new man, a perfectly glorified man, and we are with him in that. Jesus powerfully walked out of the grave, a living man, free from the grips of sin and death. He then applies all of those, all of those elements, all of that freedom, all of that righteousness, all of who he is to those who have faith in him. And just as alive and joyful as Jesus appears in this story to these women, so we too can share in the same life, in the same joy. The resurrection also assures believers that Jesus will put death to death and we will be with him forever. The world has felt the sting of death this last month and the spreading of a virus. I know personally as a church, we have felt death more closely at home. It's powerful. It's relentless. The world spends its life trying to dodge and avoid death to prolong life. But we who are in Christ have a, have a hope that one day 
death will be no more. We don't have to spend our life fearing death or trying to prolong it or trying to avoid it. Instead, we embrace the life we have in Jesus, knowing we will live with him forever. And so, for those who believe that they will be with him forever, that comes as a result of the faith that you have. And so the returning glory of God becomes a glory residing in us by faith. The Bible speaks of salvation coming through faith in Jesus. Anyone can see Jesus rose from the dead. Historical documents written by non-Christians at the time of Christ's existence on the earth attest to the resurrection of Jesus, and yet they did not believe. But they historically know that the resurrection occurred. So it's not about proving a resurrection, though we can easily do that. It's about, ultimately, faith in Jesus. You see, there were two sets of characters who were at the tomb that morning. You had the guards and you had the women. Both saw the tomb was empty. Both witnessed the same exact thing. They witnessed the angel and they knew that Jesus was alive. But there were two different responses. It's not a matter of evidence. We can throw out evidence all day long. It's a matter of faith. You see, the the guards responded in fear. The women responded in faith. Listen what the guards do as they leave the tomb. Verse 11. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Even in the face of truth, the face of truth, the broken, sinful heart cannot do anything except despise and reject God. It doesn't matter if these men lived in the holy city, saw Jesus rise from the dead, felt the earthquake, witnessed the temple uh, curtain tearing into, seeing old dead saints rise from the dead and walk into Jerusalem. None of the evidence matters. It doesn't matter. The human heart wants to pay off anyone in anything in an attempt to keep God at bay. Because at the end of the day, we hate God and we hate that God is in control and that we are not in control. So the problem is our hearts. The guards, the elders, the council traded true freedom, true freedom, true hope for worthless temporary satisfaction because they simply could not swallow their pride. So the guards began our story trembling in fear laying down in in hope to not die. And though they left the tomb breathing, they carried on dead in their sins. Faith in Jesus means you believe He is the Son of God, that He died for your sin, that He rose from the grave, that He gives you eternal life found only in Him and nothing else. It seems so obvious to us all. Why wouldn't you just believe in Jesus? If you remember when Jesus was dying on the cross back in our Friday message, the crowd was mocking him, essentially saying, hey, if you're the son of God, come down off that cross. And if you come down off that cross, then I will believe in you. Here's Jesus 
down off the cross, standing before them physically, even better, resurrected from the grave. And yet, they still refuse to believe in him. It's not a matter of evidence. It's not a matter of proof. It's a matter of the heart. And the human heart without Christ hates, loathes, despises God. So what more do you think God owes you or needs to show you before you would just believe in him? What does God need to prove to you that you can have real hope right now during this pandemic? You know, you hear people say silly things. Well, God, if you just do this one thing, then I will do that. No, you won't. God, just just in the virus and I'll believe. End it and then I'll believe. Okay, well, what if God does end the virus this very second, right now? Would you really believe and change your entire life because of that one thing? I don't believe you would. If you don't think the resurrection of Jesus is strong enough to give you real hope and life now, then nothing will change when you get what it is that you want. You'll never be like the guards, or excuse me, you'll be like the guards. You'll take the health, you'll take the money, but you'll never turn to the Lord. You'll take that temporary satisfaction. Do the, do the most with your life as you can right now before you die. Get, just squeeze all that you can out of this life. But in the end, you still die in your sins. But here's the good news of the resurrection. It is powerful no matter the circumstances, no matter the affliction, no matter the suffering. And that is good news. If you've not put your faith in Jesus, then I want to call you to turn from your sin today and run hard after Jesus. Like these women, they were running after him and he met them. And while the guards were paid off, spreading lies, the women and the disciples respond in faith and find themselves spreading a greater story an absolute truth that Jesus is alive. Read with me in verses 16 through 20. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus promised before his death, he would meet the disciples at Galilee after he rises from the dead. And so we see him standing before the disciples in Galilee, just as he promised before he died. Jesus then stands here and he commissions his disciples, like commissioning his soldiers to go and to spread the news, to go and to make disciples. It's not a question. It's not a multiple choice. It is not an option. It is a command. It is an imperative. The disciples are to do this. And here's the the catch. Jesus won't have to pay them off. He won't have to pay them off. The The resurrection and the redeeming power of the blood are enough to cause anyone to want to share the good news and to do it at any cost even the cost of their own life. And so as Jesus commissions his disciples, he does so saying, I have all authority. I have all power. Trust in me. I am seated at the right hand of the Father with absolute power, authority over sin, over death, over Satan. And trust me, my words 
are true. Teach them to others. And so the world thinks it can silence the good news of Jesus. It can pay off others to silence the good news. Here we are over 2,000 years later, and the good news is just as alive, just as active as it has ever been. And so what we see instead is that Jesus silences the power of death through the resurrection. So world, go ahead, seal the tomb, set the guards, spread your lies. What match are you for the resurrected Savior? Church, we have been commissioned by God himself to go and make disciples. It's not an It's not a multiple choice option. It's not something that you get to ponder and think about whether or not you want to do it. No, it is a command. It is imperative. We are to go and do this thing. That is why the gospel continues to live on. And this is only possible through the resurrection of Jesus. No other means, no other power, no other authority. Christ alone. And so we stand here today declaring to all who would hear that Jesus is alive. So then go, baptize, teach, repeat. Our current situation makes it difficult to get out and interact with people. I I understand that. But we are still commanded and commissioned by God to make disciples. We are not exempted from the task of sharing our faith, of making disciples in this time, just because we're quarantined. And And look, let me be clear. I'm not calling you to go against state or city ordinances Uh, that are calling us to stay from the virus so that it doesn't spread. I'm not doing that. There's no need to be foolish or to think that the government is trying to shut the church down. I don't think that's what's going on at all. In fact, the government has been kind in making the church an essential for recording sermons on Sunday morning. So let me help kind of shift some perspective if you've been thinking otherwise. What I am saying is that you and I have a responsibility to continue obeying the Lord by making disciples. The virus does not mean you can't open your Bible. It doesn't mean that you can't commune with the Lord in prayer. It does not mean that you cannot somehow give your friends a phone call or talk to your neighbors from a safe distance. It doesn't mean that your mouth is quarantined, that the words of your mouth are quarantined, that they have to stay at home. You have all the means necessary to share the good news. We have technology. You have the opportunity to get out and be at a safe distance and share the hope with others. The stay-at-home ordinance is not a stop-making-disciples ordinance. Sin and death have not slowed down during this time. They They have not been quarantined. And so if sin and death carry on, then how much more should the gospel of the resurrection We have to remember, we have a living hope that cannot stay at home. The glory that departed on Friday has returned on Sunday. And this time, the glory is here to stay by faith in those who believe. Jesus will come for us again. He will. He's promised. And in that day, We will sit in his presence. We will sit among his glory and we will raise our glasses, drinking to that final cup that he said he would not drink at the Passover until we came into his kingdom. And we will toast together as one body to the final and complete work 
of our salvation. See the stone is rolled away. Behold the empty tomb. Hallelujah. God be praised. He's risen from the grave.